We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, you're listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast, episode 46. You are listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with Dr. Abby Metcalf. Change your relationship even if your partner won't do a thing. Hello, my people. It is Dr. Abby Metcalf, host of this fabulous podcast, um, if I do say so myself, haha. Well, a lot of you have said it, so thank you for your uh, comments and all that. Really appreciate it. Today, uh, we're going to talk about how to bring spirituality into your relationship. And so if you're not religious, no worries. This is not about religion today. And I am going to be interviewing TJ Woodward, and he's a recovery specialist, a best-selling author, an inspirational speaker. Uh, an awakening coach, and he has helped uh, countless, I guess, people through a very simple but powerful teachings that he has. And I've known TJ for a few years, and I've been trying to get him on the podcast. I know him through my recovery community uh, and working with him in different places. And he is just uh, people clamor to get into his groups and to go to his trainings. He's so engaging. He's so fun. He's really has something very different to say, which I love. He's the author of the books, Conscious uh, Being, Awakening to Your True Nature. He's also the author of Conscious Recovery. So anybody out there who's in recovery uh, from drugs and alcohol, great book, A Fresh Perspective on Addiction. He created the Conscious Recovery Method, and it's a kind of a new way to view treating addiction. He was given the honor of being ordained as an agape minister by Dr. Michael Beckwith. A lot of you might know him from the secret videos. And is also the founding minister of Agape Bay Area in Oakland, which is the first satellite community of the Agape International Spiritual Center in LA. So without further ado, let's go to the interview with TJ. Hey, everybody. So without further ado, we are here with my interview today. I'm so excited. I've been trying to set this up for months <laughs> with, uh, with TJ, and I'm inviting TJ Woodward in. Thank you for being here, TJ. I'm so excited. Thank you, Abby. I am so excited, too. And, you know, everything is always in divine timing, so this is the perfect moment for us <laughs> to be doing this. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So for the audience, you know, TJ and I were talking, have been talking for a while about how to, how to uh, bring him on and to talk about our, uh, what we're, what we're going to go over today, which is how to bring spirituality into your relationship. And before I jump in there though, TJ, tell me a little and tell my audience a little about how you've come to do this work. Well, I have been 
on a spiritual path. Let me start with that for many, many years. And actually, I'm going to go really far back. I remember being a really, really happy child, filled with awe and wonder, absolutely present, joy-filled. My mother says I was the happiest baby and toddler that she's ever seen. And I had an experience early in life or a series of experiences early in life, but there was one moment that I remember the experience of shutting down, of closing off, of building a wall around my heart around the age seven and I walked around that way really afraid and disconnected and I had lost that relationship with my essential self so you know the long there's a long story there but I discovered drugs and alcohol which brought me relief I got clean and sober early in my life at age 20 and that really started this spiritual seeking because I was longing for love and connection I was longing for um that sense of okayness, that sense of being at one with myself. And the reason that I really think that's an important intro to this particular topic is I started looking for relationships to try to fix myself and I felt broken. And I think that's an important part. And I recognized pretty early on that some another person wasn't really going to do that for me. I had to plug into my own spirituality, which is why we're having this topic today. Oh my God, that's so great. And I, just to out myself, I used to, um, my listeners know I'm in recovery also, uh, a recovering drug addict. Um, and <laughs> in my early relationships, and there were many as I tried to fill that hole, um, I used to call it, or later on, I called it, you know, it was taking hostages. You know, I was really, it, it was, uh, those relationships were me taking hostages and, uh, you know, bringing people in to try to fix me and fill this hole I had. So, oh, I so relate to that. Uh, So, okay. So when we talk about spirituality and we bring that forward, and I know I battled in the beginning, for example, being, you know, I was raised Jewish and, you know, coming in even to 12 steps uh, in recovery and everything was very faith-based and Christian-based. And I sort of got very sort of anti-religious for a while as I was trying to figure out where I fit in everything. So what is that difference between religion and spirituality when we talk about having a spiritual relationship versus, you know, a religious one? Absolutely. I'm, and it's such an important topic, right? Because I think even the word spiritual sometimes becomes so loaded because there's so many different definitions of that. So it's a really unique and individual path pathway. For me, it's really simple. Spirituality is about reconnecting with the essential self. Again, my own story of coming in with this really sense of connectedness to myself and to the world. And for me, that I call that the spiritual self or the essential self. And most people relate to that on some level, remembering a time that they did feel that joy. Obviously, some people had difficult experiences early in life and might not remember. So for me, really simply, uh, spirituality is a reconnection with the essential self. And that has definitely been my journey because I did try religion for a while. And that was more outer focused, right? It was more about a God up there and out there somewhere. And this journey inward has been the path that has really actually set me free or liberated me from all of this clinging and aversion and trying to get someone or something. You know, one of my early spiritual teachers said, it's like our umbilical cord is in our 
hand and we're trying to plug it in somewhere to be fed. And sometimes people do that with religion too. If I could just find God, right? And we're not talking about that. And that's, we're not also, I'm not speaking anything against religion because for some people that's a great path. But for many of us, it's really more about connecting, reconnecting, or that great remembering of the truth of who we really are. Oh, I love that. And when I would even say, because I feel um, more religious now in my life, and that that reconnection allows my religion to be different within me and allows me to connect to it differently. So that having spirituality to me is, is in some ways a, a conduit, you know, a pathway to things like religion and relationships and to a lot of things actually in my life. So when you talk about essential self, I love those words. What what is that? What how do you know if you're there? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question, Abby. <laughs> the essential self, what I say about it is really if if we can re- remember a time and it's usually really early in life before we have these deep programs and create what I call the BS belief systems, right? Before we have, so basically the essential self is the pre-programmed human. So if we look at a three-year-old, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, they have a natural sense of awe and wonder. As a matter of fact, if you look at what many people seek in a spiritual path, children really little come by it naturally, right? They're present. They feel their feelings. They're connected. They're, they're totally little love bugs, right? Little babies just, you know, two, three, four, five years old naturally want to hug and connect and be in love with themselves and the world. That's what I mean by essential self. It's actually quite simple. You know, a more religious person might call that our God essence. The Buddhists might call it our Buddha nature. There's so many different words for it. Mm. That place deep within us that's always right there one breath away. Oh, oh, I love that. You know, I also think about um, how that's really and something I speak to my audience a lot about is coming from love, not fear. And there's, you know, fear based emotions, uh, you know, hate and and resentment and, you know, revenge and all that jealousy and all that kind of stuff. And the love-based emotions of, yeah, connection and compassion and kindness and excitement and enthusiasm and all that, there's really a way when you think of little children that they're so in their love-based emotions, right, in minute to minute. And even when the fear-based, like, you know, actual fear comes up, you know, scared of something, they very quickly turn to us as our as their parents or to adults to to find safety and they'll go there very quickly they want to be in yeah life. yeah and that's it and that's the thing that's really interesting about really small children and again the reason we're talking about really small children is to recognize that we still have that innate ability but most of us forgot have forgotten how to act it. One of the qualities of a really small child, as you said, is they allow themselves to feel their feelings really deeply and then return to that natural state, which is love, right? So yes, maybe they stub their toe and they get hurt, or maybe they fall and they get hurt, or maybe someone scares them and they cry, but they allow those feelings to pass through them. Most of us as adults are walking around trying to not feel, and this is really important in relationships, we're going to talk about that as one of the key um, important ingredients in a conscious relationship, and that is allowing ourselves to feel really deeply without going into a story about you made me feel this, but to really own it, right? You didn't trigger me, you touched a wound that is within me that's being activated. Really, really small children have the ability to feel it, 
let it pass through them and return to a state of joy. And what I know is we all still have that ability as well. I love that because it is the ego, right? Which is a fear-based entity within us that keeps us from that. And I, I have to share really quickly, when, when my older son was little, when he was going to kindergarten one day, we had a big fight because I'm that mature and I'll argue with a four-year-old. <laughs> and uh, we had a big fight and right before school and I drop him off at school at kindergarten, you know, and he's like, you know, his eyes are all red and puffy and so are mine because we've been in it. And I go to work and I'm feeling so guilty and overwhelmed all day about this fight, right? I'm just like all day, I'm turning it over and over. And how could I do that? I'm a terrible mother and all the things it meant to me. I go early, I leave, I cancel my afternoon clients. I go pick him up and I don't let him go to like daycare that day, right? I go pick him up in the middle of the day and he sees me and of course his face lights up, he comes running over, I'm like, Max, it's so good to see you. And I say to him, I'm so sorry about our fight this morning. I want to apologize, you know? And he's like, what fight? You know, he has, there's no grudge. There, he wasn't like thinking about that for hours. He, you know, there's this way that exactly what you're, that's why it made me think of that story that they, you feel your feelings, you're through them and they're done. Absolutely. There's not a, there's not a replay for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, and I love it. Eckhart Tolle in his book, I believe it's in his book, uh, The Power of Now, he was witnessing two ducks in a pond and he saw them go toward each other and get in this big altercation or this big fight. And then he noticed they shook that off and then floated away in peace. And he went on to say, you know, if those were human beings, we would be floating, floating away, not in peace. We would not have shaken it off and we'd be walking around with the story. How dare he be in my part of the pond, right? And so we have these stories, which we can also call the ego, the personality self, and we hold on to things. And the reason it's so important in this particular conversation is we then bring those into our relationships and we're living in the past instead of really living in the present moment. So, mm -hmm. you know, as we move into some different tips, one of them is absolutely being present with what is without, um, I just facilitated a workshop and I had uh, the participants carry this bag of heavy rocks as they told us a story about their past. And then what is it like to drop that bag? And it like had this huge thump as it hit the ground, like the heaviness of the stories we continue to carry around. And then we're not really living in the present. We're living in the past and bringing that into present moment experience. Oh, oh, so, so, so true. I love that exercise, by the way, I'm going to be stealing that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because as you're talking, I'm realizing it's not just the past in the relationship itself, you know, where maybe I'm thinking, oh, my, my husband never X or he always Y or, you know, whatever that is. But it's really even from our, you know, our relationships we have with our parents or past love relationships that that's the story we're bringing in now. Yeah, so let's take a really much deeper dive as you're pointing us. It's really about the core beliefs and ideas that we've created about ourselves in the world, and that usually happens really early. So going back to the exercise with the rocks that you have permission to use, Thank you. what we started with is they actually fill up the bag with the rocks, and a rock represents you know a traumatic or difficult experience early in life, but it's not about what happened as much as it's about what we decided, right? So one rock is this happened when I was three and I decided I was not worthy. Mm -hmm. This rock is I'm not lovable. 
this rock is the world is not safe, you know, and they filled up the bag with all these rocks and these stories. And the idea is then in the unconscious, all of those core beliefs are creating what we call reality in our relationships. So if I have an I'm not lovable rock in my bag, let's say, I'm vibrating at that frequency and I end up choosing relationships to confirm that core belief. So yeah, we're living not in the past in the relationship. We're going way back to the early ideas, the early beliefs, the early decisions we've made about ourselves. Wow, that's incredible. I I do know for me, you know, uh, being young, I it was all about being perfect. Like that was my job in the family. I'm the youngest, and there was a lot of turmoil with the older kids and in the family. And I was this happy, happy light of joy, and that was my job. And so, being perfect and doing everything perfectly was always, and that kept showing up in relationships that I wasn't worthy unless I could be perfect at something. And I struggle with it now with even my clients or whoever that, you know, not being perfect and showing more of myself than being vulnerable and, you know, that I don't have to, but that was a story I learned and, or had created meaning and took and still battle with. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're, you're speaking to something really important because in my book, Conscious Recovery, I go through, um, you know, it's focused on addiction, but it really applies to all of us because the, the key component of the key concept is that we have traumatic experiences. We disconnect from our essential self and we develop a shame core, a belief in our own brokenness. And then we have strategies. And what I think you might be talking about is a strategy, right? So if I feel imperfect in some way, or I feel broken, in some way, my strategy might be to look really good on the outside. In my family, I was uh, the peacemaker, right? And so if I could, I, I remember my mom and my older sister just had the most contentious relationship growing up, fighting all the time and arguing. And I would literally go into each of their bedrooms and make sure they were both okay. Of course oh. now I'm a counselor. Of course now I do this work <laughs> because I, it came so naturally, but I was trying that became my role because if, if I could help someone else feel better, I could feel better. So mm -hmm. again, I was trying to fix some of the deep beliefs about myself from the outside in. And what we know is it's really an inside out job. Yep. Yep. I say that all the time. If it's an inside job, why are you giving it to someone outside the company? You know, <laughs> <Okay. like laughs> yeah. You have, you have to think of that all the time. But it is interesting because those coping skills often served us too, like mine, you know, doing well in school and being a good student and being a great athlete. And, you know, it, it also, it, it kept reinforcing itself because I got lots of positive, right, feedback for being that way. And it did help me sort of rise out of the life I was born into, so to speak. You know, it helped me kind of get to another level. But like anything, it, it can it turns on me very easily too yeah and i love that you're talking about this because i've actually i've taken a lot of the common language we use sort of in the mental health field and kind of in the psychology and even more importantly kind of in the self-help world and some of them that are really popular that i love to talk about is this idea of a coping mechanism right mm -hmm. i've actually reframed that i call them brilliant strategies oh. and the reason i call them brilliant strategies is exactly what you just said they do serve us so rather than looking at something as inherently negative you know in some circles and abby you might know this one we might even look at them as character defects mm -hmm. what does that create 
So I look at it more as here's a strategy that served me really well. It has a light. It has a shadow. So I call them superpowers. You know, I have this superpower to be perfect all the time. And it really served me in school. And it really served me when I started my first business, et cetera, et cetera. Now, how does it not serve me? It doesn't serve me because I haven't let people see the authentic me. Mm. I have this need to look perfect on the outside doesn't allow myself to say I'm really hurting in this moment or I feel really vulnerable or I'm feeling really sad or I'm grieving. And that's how we really connect with one another is through authenticity, trans, uh, transparency, uh, vulnerability. That's the way we work with shame, right? We truth tell, but more than truth tell, we have an authentic connection with who and what we are and then share that with another. Oh, I really love that. And I, you know, as you're talking, I realized too, that it, because of that connection and that vulnerability. So, you know, I, I would never ask for help. Like (laughs) you can forget me asking for help, uh, ever because right. Then it means I'm not perfect. And one of the things I've started doing and people know who are listening, who also get my weekly newsletter, um, is that I share, you know, sort of about my personal life and things, but I also ask for help. Like sometimes I'll say, hey, can you go subscribe to my channel or can you listen to this podcast? Or I'll ask for help in in growing myself or my world in whatever way, because it is a relationship. You know, just because I'm one person sending out a newsletter or delivering a podcast doesn't mean we're not in relationship. And part about being in relationship is a give and take, right? Is a flow where it's not just me putting out, but where it's also, you know, the people listening, bringing to me. And that's something I've just been opening myself up to because I'm always thinking of being perfect and <laughs> just being of service. And, but being of service also means to connect. Yeah, right? There's no surprise you and I connect so well because I have that one too, right? And I notice, I notice myself going in. So here, here, here's the key, right? I have this core belief, I'm not worthy. So my strategy, my brilliant strategy is to look perfect on the outside. And then I'm curious why no one shows up to help me. Well, I've created <laughs> this image where I've got this, you know, like, I don't need any help or support. And then I'm like, why isn't anyone here to support me? I don't know if you do that, but I go into that. Yes. I'm like, no, because I'm so in my strategy and not letting someone really see. So the way we really work with shame is we create really safe relationships where we can start talking about not so much the strategy. And there's so many, you know, in the treatment world, there's so many modalities. In the psychology world, there's so many different modalities we work with. They're really only looking at the strategy, but we want to get down to the deep core. Where did that originate? How do I experience that? How do we begin to not change the story, but live beyond it? It's not true anyway. Of course, we're right. all lovable. No one's unlovable, right? We're spiritual beings. We're human beings. So getting down to the core and start working with that. And of course, that involves what you're saying is the paradox is, you know, because it's also in pop psychology right now. I can't love you till I love me. I have to love myself first. There's some a little deeper there too and that is it's really an exchange like you said i'm working toward loving myself more but part of that is creating authentic relationships where we can share with each other and reveal that deeper self and that's where real transformation occurs oh oh i love that so so that brings me to a question because i definitely have people who write in and who you know leave feedback that their partner uh 
isn't giving, you know, they're, that they're trying to change, they're doing things, right? The name of my book, Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing, is on purpose because so many people come with this. And I'll have people who attract over and over unavailable partners or who marry an unavailable person or, you know, stay in that relationship. How, take me there. What, what do we do with yeah, that? So I love this is really my, I think this is my favorite topic about relationships because we hear people saying over and over again, why do I keep attracting unavailable people? So there are steps to this. Step one, shift that to why am I attracted to unavailable people? Let's start oh. with that, right? Because I have to first say, wait a minute, the common denominator in these last five relationships is me. <laughs> I'm the one that keeps being attracted to these people, but that's just the first step. Then we start looking at uh, the deeper question, which is the core vibration, the core frequency. Mm -hmm. If I believe I'm broken, if I believe I'm unlovable, I'm literally going to attract and be attracted to someone to confirm that, no matter how hard we try in the outer realm. That's why we hear people say, I thought he was different. I thought she was going to be different. And then they still turned out to be like my dad. They still turned out to be like my mom. So we need to work on the core frequency. But I want to say one more thing about this. What are we wanting them to be available for? Right? Mm -hmm. When I say I'm in a relationship with an unavailable person, what are we wanting them to be available for? So often we're wanting someone to do some of our deeper inner work for us. So the key here is to do the deeper inner work and then the dynamic of the relationship changes dramatically. I'm not needing someone to fix me. I'm doing the work of recognizing I'm not broken. And when I start changing that frequency, I find myself in different relationships, not because I'm only attracting different relationships, but because I allow them in. If I believe I'm not lovable and someone shows up that tries to love me authentically, I will literally repel it like a magnet turning the other direction. So when I turn inward and do the deeper work, that frequency changes and I start to vibrate with different types of relationships. That's where the fun begins. That's where the interesting part of relationships begin because I'm no longer clinging to someone to try to do my work for me. Oh. Oh my gosh, there's like so many places there <laughs> that I want to go. And one though I want to say, because I'm always about the science, right? And so for, I know people are listening right now going vibrations and whatever, and what kind of woo is this, Abby? And I do want to say two things to that. One is that, which I've mentioned before in the podcast, and I'll mention again, that we know, and this is the work of Christine Carter, so this is like real science, that our conscious brains process information at a rate of 50 bits per second, while our unconscious brains process information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. <laughs> so, uh -huh. so what's happening is that even if I consciously think, oh, I, I want a guy who has X, Y, and Z, and you know, I'm ready for this relationship, and I want someone who really loves me and who's gonna be available, if subconsciously, if you know, below the surface, I'm not there, I'm not really, those belief systems are intact that I don't deserve that person or you know whatever that might be, that I'm broken somehow, that those people don't really exist. I kind of think it, but I've really never seen it. If I'm doing that, then I'm going to keep meeting that unavailable man or woman. You know, I'm going to keep meeting them. That it's not, it, 
so when we talk about vibration, I love that word. And there's a true scientific underpinning of that. So I want the audience to hear (laughs) that it's not just about that. And I love the other thing you said about how we will repel, literally, you know, anyone who's coming in who might be different because I've talked to my listeners before about our reticular activating system in our brains, our RAS, which is that filter between our conscious and our subconscious minds. We all have this. It's that thing that when you're going to buy a new car and you start seeing the car everywhere, right? You start all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, there's silver Nissan Pathfinders everywhere. As soon as you want to buy one, it's because your conscious mind had an idea about this car and it gave an instruction to your unconscious to go look for it. Go look for this car. And so you start seeing them everywhere. And in the same way though, it'll start filtering out. The RAS will filter out things that don't match that car. You see more pathfinders because as you're seeing less of other things. And it's the same way. If I believe this about a person, I'm going to attract, you know, right, that kind of person. And I'm going to filter out the ones that don't really match or, or repel is the word you used. I love. Uh, and I just, so I just want to remind people listening that there's true brain chemistry that, that, that underpins everything TJ is saying. Um, and I, I actually really like the term vibration anyway, because you know, sometimes you're walking down the street and someone's coming towards you and you get a funny feeling and you cross the street. You're like that. Ooh, there, there's some bad mojo going on there. They never said anything. They never did anything, but you can feel their vibration. You can feel what they're putting out. And so we do it all the time. We just forget. And it's interesting too, because we also sometimes feel the vibration and walk toward it, right? If, if our wounds aren't healed, right? So like, wow, I'm getting this funky feeling from this person. Oh yeah, please love me. (laughs) (laughs) And I I really appreciate you're bringing the science in because I actually see right now that there's kind of a blending of some of the spiritual principles and the scientific principles, right? Because I know you and I, I mean, we could do a deep dive talking about quantum mechanics and the quantum field now. And what we're recognizing is that science, because really all science is, is, is living in a question and then being able to demonstrate something in an experiment that you can quantify in some way, right? So we're beginning to have science help support what some of the spiritual principles have been saying for a while. And I wanted to touch on one other thing that you said, uh, that is the idea of feeling a vibration of someone. You know, most of us now know that um, 90% of communication is nonverbal, but I hear people saying, so that means it's body language. Right. But I have really been sitting with that's maybe another 10%. Mm -hmm. It really is vibration. And vibration actually uh, is very scientific because we know that everything has a frequency, everything vibrates. For those of us who are old enough to remember radio, good old fashioned (laughs) radio, the way I say it is you know, you turn the dial and you tune into a certain frequency, and there's a vibration that happens, and then you hear that song. You didn't create it. All of it's in the airwaves. You can hear, I don't really know what radio waves are, but (laughs) somehow they're these radio waves in the atmosphere and we tune into a certain one and then we hear it. That's what you're saying about the car. So we tune into looking at the core belief, changing the core belief. So I could say, I find evidence to support my core belief. 
whatever conclusion I have, I can start finding evidence. So when I change the conclusion, I'm a whole and perfect spiritual being. I am a person worthy of love and connection. I literally can start to see more of that. It feels like we're manifesting. It feels like magic. It's actually, like you said, a pure science. No, I've changed my vibration and therefore I have different relationships. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I love it. So for folks who are attracting unavailable partners or who are in a relationship with an unavailable person, what would you tell them to do first? Well, it's tricky about the second part about being in a relationship because I have a belief and I have experience that we can create authentic conversation. I Where I see people get tripped up is if I believe that my partner needs to be fundamentally different in order for me to be happy, that's where we get into the struggle. Because if I need you to be different and you need to start being more available in order for me to be happy, that's a setup, right? I mean, I have stories about my husband not being available enough. I have those stories. Sorry, honey, if you're listening. But I... <laughs> First, recognize that it's not what he's doing, it's what is getting touched within me. To be clear, because I know we need to be clear, we're not saying stay in an abusive relationship and that you just need to change. If there is an actual abusive situation you're in, of course we're, ta- we're gonna invite you to leave that, get the help you need. But most relationships, it's really more about a mindset. It's really more about if you could just start doing XYZ, I would be okay. So what we want to do is turn that inward. And I use this simple formula. So this might be one of the, the simple tips. When I have a thought, and that is my partner, blah, 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 fill in the blank, whatever I think he's doing, I invite myself to ask the simple question. I wonder if I do that. I wonder in which ways I do that. Uh, My partner and I, my husband and I had this interesting situation where we realized we both had the exact same idea about the other partner. You're on your phone too much and not present with me. Well, I thought he was doing that. He thought I was doing that. We had an authentic conversation and we had a recognition that we want quality time without our phones present. It's okay for us to be also laying side by side and be on our phones, but because we were able to speak to it and because we recognized that we were kind of in a little bit of projection and blame that the other person was doing it, when we had the authentic conversation, we were able to say, wow, we actually both value authentic connection without the phone in the room. I know this is a very 21st century conversation. (laughs) A lot of us work with this now. And I think that that's so great because I hear a lot of times uh, couples will be in the room with me and they both think the other one is in charge. They both think the other one kind of runs the relationship. That happens all the time. Oh no, we do everything he wants. Oh no, we do everything she wants. We do. <laughs> and I and I think, wow, listen to you both thinking that every, that everyone else, you know, it's all about everyone else or. You know, the thing I say a lot, they'll want more, you know, I wish my partner was more patient. And I'll say, are you being more patient? Exactly. You know, if you want more kindness, be kinder, you know. And there's a thing I call relationship gridlock where everyone's waiting for everyone else to move their car right, in right. this gridlock. And so, well, I'll be nicer when, he, when he's nicer. And I'll be nicer, oh, but I'll only give me nicer if I see it first. And that's that fear-based ego vibe and really 
yucky vibration that happens that we pick up on and we don't trust. And so we don't act trusting. And again, it kind of feeds on itself like we've been talking about. So to get out of the gridlock, somebody has to be the first. So, yes. so it really goes into your question of, I wonder if I do that too. Right. And, you know, what could I do? And that's the question I always ask people to ask is, well, what, what could I do? As I'm staring at my partner, what can I do? And that doesn't have anything to do with them because otherwise I'm also giving all my power to them. Yeah. And, and then the deeper, I love that. Absolutely. And then where I go with it next is I invite myself to look at what this is really touching within me. Because it's not so much what he's doing, it's more about what's getting touched. And it's often an old story, an old wound. And I don't look at the wound getting touched as any kind of negative. I look at it as like, wow, I'm having this experience. Whoa, look at this healing about to happen. (laughs) When I shift from projecting projection and blame, and what we mean by that is what you just said so beautifully. You know, I'm waiting for my partner to do something, or I'm I'm seeing them doing something. And what I've realized is Sometimes I have an idea about what's happening and it's not really happening. It's really through my lens. One of the techniques, and this could maybe be a tip, one of the techniques I use in my relationship is we will say to each other, I think I might be making up a story right now. And the story I'm making up is you are more um, concerned about this than about me. Or one of the stories I might be making up is, and then we name it, right? And then we can talk about what's really happening. And we end up getting to a much more vulnerable place, whereas what's really getting touched is my fear of abandonment. What's really yep. getting touched is my my sense of being alone, and sometimes I show up in relationships and still feel alone. And then we get much deeper and much more accountable, where it's not about what the other person is doing; it's what's getting touched within me. Yeah. Oh. Oh my gosh, I love that. And and for anyone listening who feels like they want different language, it's it's if for whatever reason you can also just say to your partner, um, "Can I tell you something I'm experiencing right now?" Yeah. Or is this true? <laughs> I'm wondering if this is true. Uh, and you can do it in that way too. So all of these are ways, depending on who you are, who's listening, and you know how, how you feel like you can talk. Because I know a lot of you have written in and said, well, it feels so artificial to say it that way, or you know, it doesn't feel like me. And, I, and number one, a lot of things feel artificial when you're learning them, because all of what we're discussing today is, are skills. There's skills that you have to embody. Um, and to always make it your own. Anything we're saying, you can always sort of think of your own language and put that on top and, and ask it in a way that feels authentic. Because if you just feel like you're saying something that's completely not you, it, it's not going to work. And I would ask you to stretch yourself a little and maybe ask something you wouldn't normally ask. <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that because I remember when I was first learning nonviolent communication, which was a great tool, it felt like a formula in the beginning. Abby, when you blank, I feel blank, (laughs) right? And it didn't feel very authentic, but I recognized that it wasn't actually a formula. It was actually an invitation for me to become more accountable. So Mm -hmm. I changed that to, wow, I'm noticing myself feeling sad. And I because I became more accountable that way, I wasn't even talking about what the other person was doing. Wow, I'm noticing myself feeling really anxious in this moment as we're talking. So it's 100% accountable. And that took, that was a big practice for me because I recognized that it wasn't a formula. It was actually an invitation to a new way of being. And that is, this really is mine. It really isn't what you're doing. It's not about you. It's about what's happening internally. 
Oh, oh, I love that. So, oh, it's so perfect. So really then to have a conscious relationship, to bring more spirituality into your relationship, what should be the primary focus? So I think if I if we were to sort of encapsulate what we talked about, number one would be creating a space for me to do my own internal work. And when I say internal work, I mean, you know, being accountable for my own reactions, my own responses. For me, that involved doing my own work with a spiritual counselor and a therapist. So I could start to look at uh, what the deeper core beliefs were. So that's part of it. And then, you know, I'm sort of segueing into the second piece, which is creating a space, whether that's a relationship with a counselor or a group or support group, or maybe it's even reading certain books where we can get down to what's being held in the unconscious and start to work with those. And then it's about authentic communication, right? Being in a relationship, creating safety for myself. Um, you know, we did one year of uh, therapy with an amazing uh, therapist that infused a lot of spirituality into her practice. And we learned how to be really vulnerable and really honest. Um, part of what I see a lot in working with um, couples is that there's a baseline fear. Like some people are a fear, afraid of abandonment. That's often true for many of us. So if I really tell you the truth about what I'm experiencing, you might leave. So I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to work on uh, why didn't you take out the trash? Well, we know it's not about the trash. I mean, it could be about the trash, but it's not really about the trash, right? Never. It's about something much, much deeper. So that's the key, right, to, again, when, when I feel activated or if I feel, you know, the common language is triggered, but it's really something getting touched within. So as we said, that one tip, you know, if I'm sort of accusing or blaming my partner doing something, in what way might I do this? But then what is really getting touched on a much deeper level? Oh, I love this. So so it seems like at the core is this relationship with ourselves, of course, and what we're bringing. And I've talked a lot about self-awareness on this podcast uh, over and over and how it's the most important thing in your relationship because otherwise we don't realize we're in reaction or we're reacting to something old or whatever it might be if we're not aware in the moment. Um, and so do you, what are your best practices or thoughts about how to make sure that I'm being self-aware other than therapy and that route for sure? Um, that I'm being self-aware, that I'm that I'm working on my relationship with myself. I think that the, the first tip, very simply, is to pause and feel it, right? Because I think a lot of us spend so much time and energy trying to not feel, and it's usually not conscious. So if if uh, there's any one tip, I would say it would be mindfulness. Now that can be a formal meditation practice, but I'm really talking more about because that is important. But I'm also talking about bringing that into the moment-to-moment experience. So if I notice myself getting tight or getting angry or getting reactive, rather than saying something or doing something, sit with that and be with what is really getting touched here. What am I experiencing? Um, emotions are actually a physical sensation in the body that pass through us if we allow ourselves to be present with them. So just to ask myself, what am I experiencing right now? And then to notice that, that's the number one tool because then I'm not going to be in blame and reaction. I'm going to sit with that. So it's a, it's a little bit deeper than, you know, pause and count to 10. That's a practice, mm -hmm. but it's really like during that count to 10, 
ask myself, what am I really experiencing here? Might this be touching an old story? Might this be not about what's happening, but about something that's wanting to heal within me? So I guess my short answer there is presence, mindfulness, but really being aware of what's happening internally. I love that. Well, and just checking in with our feelings. I know I shared this before. When I first went to rehab for my drug addiction, um, for those listening who aren't in recovery, it's very common in a rehab, You, at least back in the day, you used to go around and you'd say a feeling, right? So they'd go around the little process group and they'd say, okay, everyone name two feelings. And I didn't have any feelings other than, uh, <laughs> you know, I knew anger and I knew like, like, so sometimes feeling happy or excited about something and that's all I had I didn't have sadness I don't think at the time so I used to sit in my seat and I would put myself in the exact place where the counselor wouldn't call on me first I would I would really I had this down to a science and I would as people were going around I'd hear them share their feelings I'd be like "Ooh, shy oh that's a good one oh and I'd copy what they said, I, I'd pick my two favorites. Oh, I'm thoughtful. Oh, I like that. I'm shy and thoughtful. Okay, I'm going to use those. And uh-huh. so that I had some different ones to share every day because I was just so far from really understanding how I felt in a given moment. And I had such a small spectrum of what I even noticed. Yeah. And so that's been, you know, this <laughs> very big uh, journey of mine is to really think about all these different feelings. And I've had clients, I've told them over and over, and it's a great idea for anyone listening who feels like me and they're not sure where their feelings are. They have these great things online, you know, with the little faces. And there's like all the little, you know, confused, overwhelmed, fat, sorry, happy, whatever. And, you know, to print those out and to look and go, wow, which of these do I feel? And literally, to start noticing if you're feeling, if you think you're feeling the same thing over and over, because you're not, there's other things there. There's more breadth and depth to our feelings, but it's again, a skill that you have to practice if you haven't been taught how to do it. If you didn't have parents or an environment where showing your feelings was a good thing. And I grew up that perfect girl. So of course I wasn't showing how I really felt about anything. And so I compartmentalized those and got rid of them. (laughs) So I, well, I got rid of them with drugs for a long time and then relationships later and other things. But, you know, we sort of, we sort of choose our poison sometimes to, to not notice our feelings. And so to be checking in with those and really, if you need it, you can, you can go elementary and look at the little faces and choose one. Uh, and so, and what do you think of that, by the way? Like when people don't know what they're feeling, cause I have people say that a lot. They're like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm feeling. Absolutely. I love what you're saying. That's a great tool. And for me too, I'll add to that, that if, if we don't want to call it a feeling, there's two tips I have with this. One is, um, what sensation am I experiencing, right? So I might be experiencing a sensation in my heart. So rather than naming it, just be present with that and just notice it. Is it light? Is it heavy? Sometimes people will say, well, I don't know what I'm feeling, but I feel this like pit in my stomach or I feel tightness in my stomach. So sometimes it's not only about labeling it, but it's just about being present with it. The other, the other one that I like to offer someone is to say, rather than if it feels like too much to say, I feel sad, we can say a part of me is feeling sad. So we might use that tip. A part of me is feeling angry right now. Some of us bury sadness and we're fine with 
experiencing anger. For some people, it's the opposite, right? So a lot of it is a strategy that we've developed. Some of us feel more comfortable in our anger. For me, I was more comfortable kind of in my sadness or my melancholy or my disconnection. I had to, I didn't access anger. Oh, I'm not anger. I'm not angry. I'm the peacemaker. But there was a lot of anger under there. And as, as my own spiritual journey, my own recovery, my own um, work in therapy, I, I, I remember my first therapist throughout my 20s was an engaged Buddhist. And he would say, uh, what, how is that showing up in your body? And I was like, I don't know what you're even talking about, right? <laughs> what are you talking about? So he would say, put your hand on your heart right now. What are you noticing? And then I was able to start, I mean, it took me the year really to say, wow, I'm feeling a lot of sadness in my heart or wow, I'm noticing myself feeling really tight. So it was a practice and there's a reason we call it a spiritual practice, right? It's no, there's no finish line here. We all continue to practice this. I love it. Oh, it's so great. Whew. So to wrap up, what do you, what's your, what would you like to have people really get from today? Like, what would you like to have people really walk away with thinking about? Well, I, I'm going to close with this and it may not seem related to this conversation, but it's what just came up. I love the process that I call living in the question. I, of course, did not create that, but I invite myself to take a question into my practice throughout the day. We want these questions to be empowering and not start with why. So it's usually like, uh, what is next for me to do? Uh, where might I want to show up next? But the question I want to offer your listeners right now is, what if there's a part of me that is spiritually whole? What if underneath all of these feelings, this confusion, you know, maybe I have some things that look like addiction, maybe I'm having struggles in my relationship or at work, what if underneath all of that, there's still this whole and perfect spiritual being? So that's what I want to close with, oh. just inviting people to live in that question. I love that. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. I'm I'm planning to use that. I just wrote it down because I'm going to do that today. So, uh, and actually it's a perfect segue. Uh, TJ, uh, I talked to him earlier. I was like, hey, you know, wh 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 where would you like people to go after they hear about you? And so I want to invite everyone. He TJ sends out inspirational quotes. Are they daily or weekly, TJ? Daily. Daily, daily. I'm signing up today. Um, so you can go to tjwoodward.com forward slash inspire for a daily inspirational quote. What a nice thing to have in your mailbox. Oh my gosh. And I'm going to link to that in the show notes. So no, no, not to worry everyone, it'll be there too. Uh, and I just want to thank you so much, TJ, for coming on the show. It was a delight. So great. Thank you, Abby. This has been so much fun. I can't believe the time always goes so quickly when we're in these fun conversations. So It really does. Thank you for having this podcast and all the great work you're doing in the world. Aw, thank you. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast at www.abbymedcalf.com.